Hey guys, I'm lead pastor Noel Peepgrass, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a church family to be a part of, or feel called to join a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 West Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. Did you know the statistics say that somewhere between 9 and 12% of people who make resolutions actually achieve them? 9 and 12% of people who make resolutions actually achieve them. Maybe this is why uh, I hate resolutions so much. Um, but, but what do you think uh, are the most popular resolutions? What do you think are the most popular resolutions out there? You got it. Health, health and fitness are the number one types of resolutions made. And so that's why I'm wearing this mic today. We're going to do aerobics class here. Everybody get up. No, I'm, I'm just joking. I am, I am joking about that. I, I can't do it to you. But, you know, it, it may be true that only 9 to 12% of people who make resolutions actually achieve them. But I can guarantee you, guarantee you, that's 100%. The odds of achieving anything meaningful without setting sort, uh, some sort of goal is 0%. Can we all agree? So 9 to 12% of these people did something. 0% would have done something if they had not made a resolution. So I'm with the folks that are still plowing away. If you set a resolution and on January 8th you're still holding to it, I'm here to say you can do it. Let's go. So why do I mention resolutions if I hate resolutions so much? So as you guys know, we typically, I typically will preach a sermon uh, from a specific passage in the Bible. Most weeks, uh, I'm, I'm preaching whatever passage is next for us. So that, that's been the book of Matthew. We've, we've studied only the book of Matthew, basically, since we started as a church uh, a year and a half ago. And uh, I, was, I was thinking that I would jump right back in to the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 15, and start there today. In fact, uh, on Tuesday, I went up to that retreat center that Megan was talking about, St. Anthony's Retreat Center, and I committed myself to have a day of solitude and study and uh, meditation and prayer uh, as, we, as we look to start this year. Uh, I thought that would be a good idea. And uh, I, while I do think it, it is a good idea, I'm here to tell you it's a very hard thing to do. Megan asked me, how was your day when I got back? And I said, hard. It's really hard to sit and be quiet for an entire day. Now, maybe some of you are like, you could totally do that, but I got really tired of reading. I got really tired of sitting. It's just hard. You know, I think maybe that's why they call that kind of stuff a discipline. But in the afternoon, uh, the highlight of my day was the last hour that I spent. I had been doing different types of act, like silent stuff, mostly reading, praying, some journaling. Uh, been working through some ideas related to how we were going to approach the, the Matthew chapter 15. But in that, the last hour of the day, I, um, I decided to spend an hour just with God. Um, thinking about this church specifically and 
what God wanted to do here in, in the year 2023. And um, so the, I, I I'll be honest with you, this was the best part of my day. The sun had broken through, and these days, uh, sunshine is like uh, rare, right? The sun had broken through just a little bit. There was no rain. I'm sitting on a bench at St. Anthony's Retreat Center, looking at the hills in Three Rivers, and just asking the Lord, like, what do you want us to look like as a church? And in particular, since it's the beginning of the year, let's just phrase it this way, by the end of 2023, by the end of 2023, sorry, Lord, what, what do you want this church to look like? Now, this is, a, this is kind of an interesting concept. Let me put it to you like this. I mean, in a sense, any reflecting on our vision setting or goal setting that I could make for us as a church in this calendar year is uh, like I'm setting a goal that only you can achieve, right? It'd be like, you know, my wife setting that goal that I would lose 10 pounds or whatever. You see what I'm saying? Okay, maybe it was 20. Anyways, you get what I'm saying, right? In, in a way, uh, I, I'm setting a goal for our church that is dependent on you responding. So I get that this is a bit of a, of a weird concept. Uh, I don't hold 100% agency here. Uh, it reminded me of a quote from the uh, famous Dallas Cowboys coach, Tom Landry. Some of you guys are old enough to know Tom Landry. He was the guy that wore the fedoras on the sideline. He said, he said this. He said, leadership is the art of getting people to do what they don't want to do in order to become what they want to become. So I'm reading that just as a joke. I'm not going to force you to do anything. That's not the idea at all, though I think sometimes leadership does feel like that. But, but I hope it's not that dire where I'm forcing you to do anything. I guess the point is that I'm making is that as your leader coming into this new year, I just wanted to make it explicit. Like, what do I feel like the Lord is calling us to aim towards? You know what I'm saying? So many times, like, goals or expectations are not stated. And I thought, you know, if I feel like the Lord is putting on my heart to see this happen, I should share it with the body. So Tuesday afternoon, I'd been studying all day, Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 15, thinking about how I'm going to teach that uh, section, and I made a diversion at that point. I decided this Sunday is going to be Vision Sunday, and I'm going to talk about the vision I think the Lord has put on my heart for us as a body of people for 2023. And I think that vision is important. I think that the Bible would even indicate that vision is important for us to have a common sense of where we're headed. Proverbs 29 actually says, when, where there's no vision, the people perish. And so I want to hopefully inspire you by painting a picture of what it means to be a godly family, which is what we, we hold the church to be, a family. We say often here that we're a family on mission with God, right? And so I wanted to just paint a picture of what I think are some really uh, biblically foundational ways of being that God had really put on my heart for us to live into in this coming year. And, and so the first question that I asked myself, I think, was like, as I was sitting there, it was like, okay, Lord, what are you wanting us to become? And, and to be honest, I'm a real brick and mortar person. Maybe some of you can relate. Like, it's really easy for me to get practical, to start thinking about measurables, you know? And, and like, let me tell you, as a church planning pastor, um, I often get asked the question, how's it going? <laughs> Megan 
she mimicked those words. <laughs> how's it going? Like all the time I get asked the question, how's the church going? You know, weekly I'm answering this question. Um, how is the church going? And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm prone to answer the question with metrics, right? Like our average attendance is somewhere here or there. We, we had our largest gathering two weeks ago and it was this many people or, you know, the total number of people that are connected to our church or the number of people relating to us as partners in this church. I, I'm really prone to answer that question with metrics. I might even say something about this building that we've been rehabbing that used to be a bar and tell the story about that and, you know. Like these are the, the physical, the tangible things that I'm, I'm so prone uh, to go to. Uh, but as I sat down that afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, and it was just me, my pencil, and my journal, um, I started to write down where I sensed God was leading us. And, um, you know, I mean, while I did think about the faith I had for numeric growth, and I thought about saying like, man, I have faith for us to be this size at the end of this calendar year. I, I did have faith for maybe like the Lord, you know, this idea that maybe the Lord would provide us a building that housed us a little bit more appropriately. As you can tell, we're starting to, to bust at the seams a little bit. A, a little bit. I mean, I, I started to think about what, what could it mean for different areas of ministry, like our youth group, small groups, worship teams, like what vision, Lord, how, how would we measure what you want us to become um, this year? And, and, and I just want to say, like, I do believe the Lord has indicated that something bigger and more permanent is coming to us in this year. I do think that there'll be a metric way to measure what God is up to this year in our body. But that's not what God put on my heart to share with you this morning. And so um, my heart stuck on three characteristics uh, of our church that I, um, I guess basically just like three characteristics of the kind of church that I could get excited about, excited about leading. And just three things that I wanted to share uh, with you guys today, uh, three characteristics that I think um, mark the kind of church uh, that we want to be. And, uh, you know, when I say church, I just want you, you like, I, got, I can't say it enough. Like, we're not primarily an organization. We're primarily a family made of people. People who matter. And each of you matters. Here, So in a way, going back to this idea that I started with, what I'm telling you is like, I'm, I'm making a target for you in your own individual life. I'm, I'm stating the target that as your shepherd, I feel like God's put on my heart to lead you towards. So anyway, in my journal that day, I wrote down three characteristics. They, they came super smoothly. And I don't know if you ever do much journaling, but sometimes it can be hard to feel like you've heard from God. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. It's like, Noel, you say that God speaks, but gosh, it is hard to hear him sometimes. This day, Tuesday, in my journal, three things came to me really smoothly in such a way that I just knew that the Holy Spirit was inspiring them. And so here we go. This is a sermon that I'm going to preach today. I'm going to talk about the vision I think God's given me for this church in 2023. So I believe that in 2023, God is calling us to gather and grow a spiritual family full of these three characteristics. Number one, wonder-filled worshipers. Wonder-filled worshipers. Number two, devoted disciples. And number three, must-do missionaries. I'm going to explain a little bit more what I mean and what I think the Lord is saying about these three things, but, but you should notice something about these three characteristics. 
The target here is not something to achieve. Yeah, numbers will come, buildings will come, ministries will come. There'll be metrics to measure these things along the way. But the number one thing that I feel like God is leading us into is a way of being. Not just something for us to do. This is how God is. God wants your heart. He wants your spirit. He wants your being. Out of your being, action will flow, but God wants our hearts. And I think this is what he's saying to us. So the target is to become. What are we going to become? Devoted disciples, wonder-filled worshipers, and must-do missionaries. You're going to see there's some plays on words there because I'm 42-year-old dad. I got to have puns. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, immediately as these three characteristics came to mind and became pencil on my page, I thought of Acts chapter 2, which is the passage that we just read together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through verse 47. And the characteristics of the early church, the first church that we see in this passage and the first church was a church that led, you guys, the greatest movement of faith the world had ever seen. Like, get your mind around this. God used some very normal people, some very basic people. Is that the word these days, kids? Basic, right? Okay. None of the cool kids are shaking their heads with me. God used some really basic people to literally change the world. We're here today because some basic people devoted themselves to a few ways of being. And so uh, I want to I use Acts chapter 2 uh, to um, tell you about the characteristics that I think God has put on my heart to share with you. And just like one thing I would want to share with you is like, yeah, I believe that the spirit speaks to us, right? And so we, we have a high view for God's word. We study the Jesus. Can I say that in church? We study the heck out of God's word in this church. That's why we, a year and a half already, and we're not even, we're, we're halfway through Matthew now. So we value God's word. But we also believe that his spirit speaks to us and says things to our hearts. And one of the ways that we weigh those things and know that those are actually from God is by holding them up and seeing if they align with the things, with the true things that have already been said in God's word. So this is really cool. When God speaks, he reminds me right away, Noel, this is, this is not new news. What I'm putting on your heart today was foundational for the early church. And so he shows me Acts chapter 2. In verse 42, the first thing that it says is they devoted themselves. So the first thing that we want to be is devoted disciples and Cooper, you can go to my really nice slides here to show the good people what I'm saying. The first thing that we want to be is devoted disciples. So what does devoted mean? What does it mean to devote yourself? According to the dictionary, this means to give all or a large part of one's time or resources to some person, some calling, some activity. In this case... Disciples of Jesus are devoted to him, to following him. This means that we've got to be willing to give a lot of whatever it is we have. Time, energy, talents, abilities to the cause of Christ. This is a high calling, you guys. This is like when the coach says you've got to give 110%. And you're like, coach, it's a mathematical impossibility. 
I cannot give you more than 100%. It's a high calling to be a devoted disciple. We shouldn't just think that being devoted to following Jesus is easy. It's challenging. Like giving all of yourself, high calling. But I feel like God was putting this on my heart. I want to be a church of devoted disciples, like gritty, committed, never say die. Like some of you may have already experienced, like we're not uh, the most convenient church to consume at this point in time. There's hardly seats for everybody. We're going to hear the kids consistently in the back room. We don't have a full nursery at this point. Like it's one day at a time, one step at a time. We're growing faster than we know what to do with. So it's going to take a type of grittiness. Do you see what I'm saying? It's going to take a type of devotion. If you're here for like convenience, there's better churches in Visalia. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And I, I know nothing against them. I love them. Went to one for many years. Right now, we, we, we need like grit. We need commitment. We need never say die disciples. People who are giving themselves, not for themselves and not even, not even for the church. We don't exist for our own sake. We don't exist so that we got a cooler building and a cooler sign someday. We exist for the sake of the gospel. Amen? Yeah, this is what it's about. I'm calling people to devotion as disciples. Now in verse 42, there's, there's something else for us beyond the concept of being devoted which is the direction of our devotion. They're devoted. What are they devoted to? All right, coach, I'm devoted. I'm devoted. What am I devoted to? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Teaching, simple. You've heard this since you were a little kid. You need to read the Bible more. That's actually one of the most common New Year's resolutions made in January. The Bible, learning, knowledge, study, what you're doing right now, you're showing devotion to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because there's life in these words, not just my words. No, there's no life in my words, that, but that what the Spirit has put into them. But there is life in the words of God. So teaching is what they devoted themselves to. They also devoted themselves to, and, and Megan really likes this one, fellowship, some of you are here for the fellowship. You're like, I'm just here for the community. I want to know people. This is actually a biblical idea that you would be here in part for the community. We don't grow alone, you guys. I used to be a personal trainer. One time I was doing a really hard workout with a, a client, and I, I was working in small groups, and at, at the really hard part, she screamed, I would never do this if you guys weren't all here right now. But this is how it is to be a devoted disciple. We need each other. Like, I'll raise my hand and say it because you're too embarrassed. I would never do this if it weren't for brothers and sisters here to push me along, to encourage me, to help me when things were hard, to help me understand God's word, to help me hear the spirit speak into my life. We can't do this alone. There's no such thing. And COVID proved it. There's no such thing. As church on your couch, this is the church, the gathered body of Christ being together, fellowship. It's so important. It actually says this in the Bible, believe it or not. Hebrews 10, 
verse 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We need each other. We need each other. And uh, like, hey, it's not always super convenient. Sometimes I'm a pain in the neck. Sometimes you're the pain in the neck. We're going to fail each other. We're going to let each other down. But yeah, we need each other. We need to encourage one another. We can't do the life of devoted discipleship alone. The next thing that we see that they did is they, they broke bread together. This is like Jake's favorite phrase, I think. I've heard Jake say it more than anybody else I know. Let's break bread together. Breaking bread can mean like sharing a meal together. Um, according to the Urban Dictionary, that's like a phrase these days. I didn't really know that. I just thought it was like a Christian kid thing that Jake was saying. Anyways, uh, break, the breaking of bread also refers to like communion, the act of communion. And I think in this passage right here, this is what's being described. The act of sharing and partaking in the Lord's Supper together. You know, communion can seem routine. I mean, we do it every week. And I've, Megan and I have had this conversation. I'm like, should we do this every week? It just seems so basic when we do it every single week. Like the church I grew up in do it, did it once a month. You know, if any of you grew up in a church like that. But listen, you guys, this seems basic. This seems routine. But this is the singular most important sacrament we have in the church. For those of us who have put our faith in the body and the blood and the resurrection life that Jesus brings, this is it. We have to remember weekly <laughs> what has happened. We have to remember all the time. The early church was, they were devoted to this sacrament. They were devoted to remembering the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus. They were clinging to it in devotion, in remembrance. And so we too should be devoted to partaking of this meal together. The last thing it says they were devoted to is prayer. Oh my gosh, Jesus called uh, the church a house of prayer, right? In that, in that passage where he gets all upset about the other things that are happening in, in his temple, he says this, my house should be a house of prayer. And oh, that we would be a people of prayer. I can tell you this is so near and dear to my heart. It would make my heart glad if one of the things people knew about Exeter Valley Church was that, man, that church prays. They pray. Why is that such a big deal? Why is prayer such a big deal? Because we've been put in relationship with the divine through prayer. God hears and God speaks. This is like the most, one of the most powerful, profound realities that I could lay out for you. God hears and God speaks. And so we come to him in prayer. How are we going to do it? I mean, there's all kinds of ways to pray. And we've been, we started a routine of gathering monthly to pray. We'll start that up again uh, in February. We pray Sunday mornings before service. You're all welcome at 9 a.m. to come pray with us. Um, we'll, we'll pray individually. I encourage you, individually, become a person of prayer. In your homes, as a family, pray together. Pray about what? I don't know. Pray how? I don't know. But the Bible tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. Right? Remember the prayer of Peter as he's walking out on the water. 
He had the faith to step out of that boat. He's walking on the water and then he gets his eyes on the storm. He gets scared. He begins to sink. Did he pray some long, eloquent prayer? No. Three words, Lord, save me. Prayer can be simple when the heart behind it is true and acknowledges the lordship of Jesus. So I just encourage you, like, let's be a people of prayer. Let's be disciples that are devoted to communion with God, to relationship with the divine. The second thing that, that really came to my heart in terms of characteristics was I want to be a church of wonder-filled worshipers. Wonder-filled. And I mean, I use the word wonder in two senses. And, and here's a question I'm trying to ask. Like, what motivates us to be so devoted to something? Like, you need a lot of motivation. I would argue that the people who are most successful at keeping their resolutions are the people who have the most motivation. What's the awesome sauce that propels one to die to themselves and live for Christ? I believe we find the awesome sauce in verse 43. And in the New Living Translation, it says it this way. It says that a deep sense of awe came over them all. A deep sense of awe. These devoted disciples were motivated by awe, by wonder. They weren't devoted to duty. Keep that in mind. They weren't devoted to duty. They didn't worship begrudgingly. As a matter of fact, you guys, many of these early disciples literally gave their lives to worship Jesus. They worshiped him out of a strong sense of wonder at the way God had come to them in human flesh, dwelt among them and made a way by Jesus' sinless sacrifice to be in relationship with him, a holy God. This is wonderful news. We've got to get our minds wrapped around it. Part of the reason the body and the blood of Jesus is so important for us is so that we would remember and grow in our sense of awe at what God has done for us. I long to be a, a people caught up with a sense of this wonder and awe, a people who has gotten a true glimpse, a people who have beheld the beauty and the magnitude of the gospel news. What makes this news good? It's that a beautiful, perfect, all-powerful God, full of love, has accepted us as we are and grafted us into his family through the repentance of sins. This is the gospel. This is the good news. It's beautiful. And when we see it rightly, I think we're filled with wonder and with awe. It reminded me, if I could use a personal story, I remember the first day I saw Megan from across the dormitory. We were registering for classes. She was laughing and flirting with somebody, I think. Anyways, she caught my attention. I, I remember seeing her. I could tell you what she was wearing, and I, I remember the sparkle in her eye. I was immediately filled with a sense of wonder. There was something about her. And I can tell you, we've known each other since 2000, no, 1999. Through those years, it has taken devotion to one another. And there have been times where I thought to myself, is this worth it? This is really hard. 
I'm sure she's thought that more than I've thought that. But you know what I'm talking about. Those of you that are in relationship, you know what I'm talking about. What's motivated me? I guarantee you I come back to the first day I saw her and the wonder that filled my heart. The picture of her at her best that sustains me all the way through these difficult times. Look, we've got to see the beauty of Jesus, you guys. It's got to be wonder and awe that propels us to devotion. When we sing these songs, we need to get our hearts, and some days it takes a lot of work because you don't feel like, I love you, Jesus. You don't feel like, you know, your goodness has been running after me, whatever we sang this morning. We don't always feel it. But we need that sense of wonder, that sense of awe to propel our devotion. In the message translation, it says uh, in verse 46 and 47 that they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal, a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. The early church was exuberant and joyful so much so that it says they followed a daily discipline. Have you ever, have you ever said that? I'm so exuberant and joyful, so I'm going to work out every morning at 5 a.m. Their exuberance, their joy led them to a daily devotion. This is what wonder and awe will do for you. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be a devoted disciple, you've got to get your eyes on the beauty of the good news on the beauty of Jesus, on the beauty of this idea that a sinful man, a sinful woman can live in perfect harmony with God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Is your discipline marked by wonder? Wow, that would be cool if we'd be wonder-filled worshipers, devoted disciples propelled by this idea of the beauty of of the gospel. But you know, that's not all it, uh, the word wonder can mean. So here I go using the same word to mean two different things. Wonder filled worshipers. It says that the disciples were full of awe and that the apostles were performing many signs and wonders. So wonder can mean awe, but wonder can also mean like a miraculous sign, like something that blows your mind. Here's what I mean, you guys, and this can sound weird in our Western context. You know, we tend to be really mathematical, rational, logical. We don't have a lot of space for the the miraculous at times in our context, if we're honest. But man, I want to be a church marked not just by wonder-filled worship. I want to be a church filled with wonders. I want to see the signs and the wonders the healings, the restorations that took place in the early church. This might, be, this might be one of the hardest things to contend for, to believe that God would still, still heal, to believe that God would make the lame walk, that he would restore sight to the blind, that he would speak to us, that he would even, I mean, this story in Acts 2 starts with the gift of tongues. The spirit came upon these people and all of a sudden they're speaking in different languages. I know that it can feel weird, but this is the power of God. Here's what I would just want us all to say. I would want us all to be able to say in our hearts, if there's power to be had in God, I want it all. 
If there's power to be had in God, I want it all. It might feel weird. It might be weird. It might sound weird. But if there's power to be had in God, I want it all. I believe that this is one of the major reasons that it says that many were added to their number every single day. People saw the wonderful things that they were doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, who's here for it? Who's here for wonder? So I believe that not only will this wonder fuel our devotion, but I believe this sense of wonder will also fuel our multiplication. It'll fuel our mission. A sense of wonder and a devotion to discipleship and the transformation that takes place when one lives this way is an incredibly attractional thing. I think that when, when we're full of wonder and devoted discipleship, we become these must-do mission kind of people. Mission becomes the kind of thing that you just must do. If you could restore sight to the blind, would you not go and do it? If you could make and see the lame walk, would you not go and do that? What would happen to our communities if this type of wonder started to take place? It says in the message, this is, this is pretty cool. In the message, it says, in general, people liked what they saw. Yeah, I guess. Because the lame were walking, the blind were seen, the captives were being set free. You get what I'm saying? How easy is it to do mission when the wonders are happening? We've been studying Matthew, uh, and not only so that we would just know a lot of stuff about Jesus, right? And, and hopefully you've all been intellectually edified by my teaching through the, the book of Matthew, right? Hopefully, maybe you've been edified by my teaching, but the, the whole point isn't just that you would like learn stuff. That's not the whole point. The whole point is that you would catch a vision for the ministry model of Jesus, and we would start to be the kind of community that lives the way Jesus lived. That's the whole point. What did Jesus do? Preach, teach, heal. If I could summarize the first 15 chapters of Matthew, that's what I would say. And here we see this man, Jesus. He was preaching, he was teaching, and he was healing. End of story. Go do it. That's the point. And so as an, that's, what the, that's what the disciples were doing in Acts chapter 2. They're like, oh, this is what Jesus did? All right, let's go do what Jesus did. Let's see people healed. Let's preach the good news. Let's tell people about this God man that makes relationship with the holy possible. We want to see his way of being, his, his preaching, teaching, and healing. And, and we want to imitate his model for ministry. And listen, you guys, I just want to say, like, to, to be on mission with Jesus, it's, it's about more than just converting the lost. Sometimes we can just get so focused on how many people did we baptize, how we converted souls, how we convinced people intellectually to follow Jesus. Mission is about bringing Jesus' will and Jesus' ways to the world around us. Like Jesus came to inaugurate a new kind of kingdom. This is our mission. And there are other Christians around us. We're not the only people doing it, but this is what mission is all about. We're here to inaugurate a new kind of kingdom where Jesus will and Jesus' ways reign. So one question 
and then I'm going to be done talking. My one question is this, and you don't have to raise your hand. You could just answer in your heart. Who's in for a 2023 full of devotion, worship, and mission? Let's pray.